Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When was the last time you had an orgasm? Okay, but when was the last time you had an orgasm that was so incredible it healed your sexuality? Lots of us approach masturbation as just a thing to do to get us off and move on with our day. But what if you could touch yourself to facilitate sexual liberation? With chakras, you can. I've been using my chakras for years, and what I love about it is that chakras not only gets me off, but helps me create an intentional self-pleasure practice that connects me to my body and my inner wisdom. Chakras is a woman-owned sexual wellness company that makes beautiful handcrafted pleasure tools from pure crystal. These crystals are a natural earth-made material that come with their own unique properties to help awaken higher levels of consciousness, help you work through emotional imbalances, and heal deep core wounding. And the orgasms are incredible. If you want to bring sensual vibes and much-needed healing to your sexuality, go to shockrubs.com and use my code LIBERATION to get 15% off your purchase. That's C-H-A-K-R-U-B-S dot com, promo code LIBERATION for 15% off your purchase. Center your pleasure and heal your sexuality with Shockrubs, and may your orgasms be plentiful. Hello, beautiful people. I'm Evian Whitney, and this is The Sexually Liberated Woman. I am so happy to be back in your ears again, and I've got some amazing conversations in store for you that I literally cannot wait for you to dive into. But first, we're going to start with this one. This is a conversation I had with Kristen Soleil. 
The last time I had Kristen on my podcast was way, way back in 2016 on episode seven. And back then we were talking about sluts. We were talking about the history of the word, what the slut has meant for women's and femme sexuality, and how the word slut is being reclaimed today to mean someone who is sexually liberated. It was an excellent conversation, one that I still think about to this very day. And if you haven't listened to it yet, you definitely should. It is so good. But for this episode, Kristen and I are talking about cats. Did you know that for thousands of years, the cat has been a symbol of women's sexuality? And did you also know that the female cat was the first animal ever to be slut-shamed by a human being? True story. All throughout history, cats have been long-standing symbols for and to women and femme sexuality. So I thought it was about time to acknowledge the kitties <laughs> for their influence and power as a sexual liberation archetype. And who better to have this conversation with me than Kristen Soleil, who literally just wrote a book on this very topic. I don't have a cat. Sadly, I'm allergic. But if I did have one, I would be looking at my kitty with a little more respect and awe after listening to this conversation. Like, oh my God, wow, you cute little kitty. You kind of deserve to be worshipped as a god to my sexual empowerment and freedom. Like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Anyway, I am so happy to be back and I hope you enjoy this episode. Kristen, I'm so excited to have you back on the podcast again. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me back. It's been quite a while. A lot has happened for both of us. (laughs) I know. Since you were on my podcast last, you wrote a book. um, And I want to talk about that. I would love to talk about that. Yeah. Tell me about witches, sluts, and feminists. So it is a sex positive feminist history of the witch and the witch archetype. So it's not really about witchcraft per se, although I interview tons of witchcraft practitioners in it. But really, it just traces the origins of the witch archetype up till present day and shows how Uh, the witch archetype was used to police and punish female sexuality, similarly to the way the word slut does today. Mm -hmm. And also to go into all the, our ideas about women and femmes that uh, connect with the persecution of witches and um, our ideas about wicked women and wicked bodies and uh, how that relates to contemporary politics and pop culture and film and fashion and all these uh, little fun tidbits. So it's like a, it's a primer. The book could have been 10,000 pages long because it's a really broad subject. And yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm glad that you mentioned that because one of the reasons why I liked your book so much is that it wasn't super dense and it it was really approachable and readable. Like, I mean, you could have easily made this into a tome, you know, but like you kept it really. And I mean, I'm sure you're going to expand and expound on this work more in your career, but I was like, I was really, really pleased that I wasn't reading something that felt like it came from, I don't know, a textbook <laughs> in like a college course or something. Like it was really approachable. Thank you. That that means a lot. And actually the funny thing is, is that I was teaching a college course on this subject and that's why I wrote the book. Mm. But in writing it, I wanted it to be accessible because so much academic work 
stays in the academic world and it doesn't leave there because of its languaging and the way it's so dense. And I wanted to comb that out and really, you know, share this story that is so many people's stories and so many people's like ancestry and history. And it shouldn't just be for one type of person. And that's what my goal was. So I'm so glad you found it accessible because that was really important to me. Yeah, it's it's super important. So you are obviously on the podcast before and I'm praying that people will re-listen to that episode because the conversation we had about sluts and sluthood was so good. I think about that episode very um, a, a lot. Yeah, I'm going to it myself. Yeah, it's it's so good. Like we we touched on so many wonderful things. But as kind of a refresher for people who are new or people who just want to be reintroduced to you, tell us who you are. Tell us how you identify. I'm assuming you identify as a witch and a slut. I but do. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, tell tell us who you are and tell us everything about you. Sure. So I'm Kristen Soleil. I also go by Kristen Corvette on the internet, and I am an educator, curator, a writer. I've been teaching a class about the sex-positive feminist history of the witch for about five years at the New School in New York City. Um, I ran this site. I continue to run it, but um, it's not as updated all the time as it used to be called Sluttist. That's a sex-positive site that really now, as I see it, was telling the story of witches, sluts, feminists, and the intersection between all those identities before I even knew I was going to write this book. So Mm. that's what really got me into this. Obviously, I was interested in all these things for most of my life, but they just never combined because I just thought, if you're a feminist, you have to be into this and have this aesthetic. If you're a witch, you have to be this and this aesthetic and slut the same way. And Mm -hmm. I didn't really see all these threads this common root in a way, you know? And so I feel like a connector, connecting all these things that are already there, curating, juxtaposing in hopefully interesting or just weird new ways. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I think that that about sums it up. That's amazing. I'm, I'm actually really curious how you would answer this question because I, I think you touched on it a little bit ago about how we have all of these ideas and um, there are many different expressions of being a witch, being a slut. I'm curious about what your expression of being a witch looks like and what your expression of being a slut looks like. Both of them are about uh, complete bodily autonomy or as much as you can living under the governmental system or political system that you are living under, you know, but they both share that. And I think, yeah, being grounded in your own body and then using that uh, the way you see fit in a way that is not harming others. Of course, when you get into witchcraft, there's a whole ethics about, you know, they say a witch who cannot hex cannot heal. And there's, you know, I do believe that to an extent as well. So that's a whole other story. But as far as generally, you know, I think these are healing modalities. And mm. even though people don't think of slut as like healing, I think... Oh, I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know you do. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, people air quotes. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> but... that's where I see the shared nexus of that and sort of like someone who straddles worlds literally and figuratively, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and just works with different energies uh, within their body and different ideas in their mind. And, you know, both of them are sort of contested identities and they have these really weighty histories and they're very fraught. And, you know, for some folks, they're not easily able to take on these uh, identities as others. So there's like certain privileges with that as well. And so I, I just think they really tap into a really rich history that's often about the, you know, oppression of and liberation of women and femmes in particular. Mm. I'm, I'm really loving the way that you define being a witch and a slut, because I think when we talked last time, if you had asked me like, 
how I identify, I would absolutely resoundingly say that I identified as a witch and a slut. These days, these days I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little pressured about the ways that I can claim that word and whether or not I have the ability, the permission, the privilege even to use those words. I don't, well, no, I was, I was about to tell a lie. I was going to say, I don't feel that so much with slut, but I do. I think, you know, Mm -hmm. because of the way that our culture has perceived sluts and sluthood, I mean, I'm a pretty tame slut, (laughs) you know, like I haven't had a lot of sexual partners and things like that. And then when it comes to being a witch, you know, I, I felt so much more connected and so much more confident to my witchhood when we were first having this conversation years ago. Mm, And these days, um, I don't want to say that I'm in a a challenging place with it, but I I think I had to kind of step back and really realize what those words meant to me because I was seeing everyone else portray and embody the witch in the same way that I see everyone portray and embody the slut in this like, Mm -hmm. you know, empowered and liberated way. I would see those embodiments and think like, oh, that's what I have to do. That's what Mm. I need crystals. I need candles. I need to like draw like pentacles on the ground and chalk. And like, (laughs) I need to do seances and stuff like that. And I was really into that stuff. Um, And I still am. I'm very interested in that. But I've noticed that the busier that I become, uh, the more that I do this important work, I don't really have a lot of time to invest in like, you know, meditating with a crystal for an hour or, you know, summoning things or doing tarot Mm -hmm. even. And so, yeah, I just, I wanted to express that because I think it's really important in this conversation to talk about the different ways that a witch can be embodied and actualized, the different ways that a slut can be embodied and actualized and how like really what I'm hearing you say is that there's like no one definition of being a slut or being a witch. Absolutely. And I'll like hold fast to that till the day I die. (laughs) Um, Because I just think given their histories, they can't be exclusionary. Mm. That said, there are subsets within each of those that are maybe certain traditions or initiated traditions, you know, in like witchcraft or in slutdom. Obviously, there's certain languaging that's reserved for sex workers, you know, versus like civilian sluts. And within that, sure, there's all kinds of ways where you're in or out or, you know, not quite part of a certain group. That's fine. But I think in the overarching terminology, like the whole point of both of these words and archetypes is that therefore everyone who has faced like rejection or oppression or uncertainty because of the way they thought, the because of what they did with their bodies, because of what they wanted or desired, mm. you know? And I also agree, like there's plenty of times I feel like I'm not witchy enough, I'm not slutty enough, or even when I've been in like asexual and I'm like, this is, you know, sex right meow for me is, is not on the table because I'm doing ABC and I need to do that to heal or to just like take a break. Mm-hmm. And then in that time, am I still a slut, you know? And I, and the same with witchcraft, just like you said, there's so many times that I even doing like this book and doing this work and I teach a class doing that. And then sometimes I don't do anything that's witchy for a while. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm such a fraud. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then I have to take it back and remember that these are like lifetime 
like identities and their like ebbs and flows and sort of about an ethos, not like a, what are you doing? Yeah. It's more like, how are you being? It's not like, right. yeah, I don't think it's about how much you can do to prove yourself because that would, that's ridiculous. <laughs> To see it from that point of view of like, you need to, you're, you're only considered a witch or a slut if you have these external things happening for you, if you're doing X, Y, and Z versus being like being, it, it feels yeah. very capitalistic to me. Like the notion that right. you have to like buy stuff and purchase yes. cards and crystals. I mean, and that's no shade to anyone who like is obsessed with crystals because like I am too, but like just this notion that you, like I remember, um, and I wonder if we talked about this back in our first first uh, conversation together. But I remember maybe it was recently that Urban Outfitters was selling like witch kits. Yeah, And I was yes, like, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> well, Sephora was going to put out a witch kit and then they, they withdrew because there was so much outrage. Oh there was God. that too. There's all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. So it really creates this feeling. And I, in, in my own personal work, I, I keep coming back to imposter syndrome and the ways in which like mm-hmm. our society tells us that who we are is false is a fraud that like we're not doing enough and what doing enough looks like is buying more shit or wearing certain things and i mean you know of of course there's an aesthetic to it and stuff like that but i mean even if there isn't you you can't quantify a witch or a slut or a feminist by the shit you wear on a t-shirt you better not be able to i mean (laughs) that's i i totally agree and i mean as you said with the like crystals and the witch aesthetic i think that's true with slut too like you don't have to have certain lingerie you don't have to have 50 sex toys you don't have to you know there's so many i think things as well for like slut identity it's and it's obviously we live in a very you know a, a digital digital culture a culture of surveillance so there's this proving that goes on when you post something yes. or like let me prove my identity over and over and sometimes it's very natural but sometimes i know there's a like let me make sure you all know this this is real this is me you know right <laughs> yes oh my gosh oh don't even get me started on like <laughs> how instagram completely exacerbates oh. this phenomenon yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. (laughs) It is like the bane of my existence sometimes. I'm so glad that we said that piece because it's been on my spirit for a little while. And I feel like I need to record everything that you just said for myself and listen to that on a daily basis. I'm glad you said it too, because it's something I I struggle with also, you know, because you always compare yourself to other people in the communities, various communities and think, am I being enough? Am I doing enough? You know, and the answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. So the real reason that I had you on this time is because you are writing a new book and I'm so excited about it. Um, (laughs) You gave me a little bit of a glimpse when uh, we had pizza. We actually shared my first New York pizza experience together, which (laughs) warms my heart every time I think of it. Literally the best pizza. But over pizza, you told me about this new book that you're writing. And so I want to hear more about this book. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm going to let you tell people what it's about. So this is a perfect time too that we did this podcast because I literally turned in the first draft manuscript last week. Oh my God, congrats. Thank you. So I'm taking the week off. So I'm like, what do I do with myself? Oh yeah, I I should take care of myself. That's what I should do. (laughs) Yeah. Because that goes out the window when you're writing for me at least. And I need to be better about that. Goals for 2019. (laughs) So don't let work drive everything. Yes. Um, But I'm a Capricorn, so it's very hard. 
So my new book is called Cat Call, Reclaiming the Feral Feminine in Myth and Magic. Oh my God, wait. I fucking love that title. (laughs) Thank you. It is literally perfect. Oh my God, that is so good. (laughs) I'm so glad you like it. So good. Okay, continue. Yes. And so the main premise is that cats and women and femmes have been culturally inscribed with the same attributes for millennia. Like we have Mm. sex kittens crazy cat ladies, cougars, um, mm. and, and, and witches in their cats. And we have words like catty and why do we call vulvas pussies? Um, mm. All of this connection. And yet, you know, we don't really talk about why. Why do we assume cats are female or and dogs are male? Or like, you know, they say men are dogs and then yes. you know, women are catty. Like, yes. why yes. is that? So, and, and on top of that, the role of the cat in the story of the witch is very large. So there's that twist as well. So it's not only sort of a cultural history, but it's also a magical history. And so it's really looking at where the feline and the feminine intersect since basically ancient Egypt, because that's really mm. where this story is beginning. And um, how the cat became cast as this evil entity. And then at the same time, women are being cast similarly. So they sort of, there's this connection that, you know, follows the two twisting and turning together throughout history until today. I mean, whether, whatever you think of them, the pussy hat, like, why are we, why is that a thing? Why is there a cat, right. you know, like you, cat ears, you know, like it's, so it's still a, a visual symbol. Um, how many uh, sex toys and things do they you know put like a cat face on to make you know if it's like four people with vaginas you know what i mean it's like there's right. so much like when you buy thinks like the period underwear and it says your thinks are on the way there's like a little cat in the email like this is so <laughs> fascinating like as you're talking about all this stuff i'm like holy shit cats are literally everywhere yes I really want to dig into this and you know find out why and then i've been a cat person since I was a little kid, always just was obsessed with my cats. And that's a a kind of a side note about it, because I hope and I think because I've shared this draft even with people that hate cats. Like, I think this is an interesting history, even if you don't like cats. So Mm. I hope. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I like Again, I love the name. It's perfect. Oh, thank you. And I remember when you first told me about this concept of the book over pizza, we geeked out a little bit over ancient Egypt. I I remember us talking about like how we both aspire to be like archaeologists because of our obsession with like ancient Egypt. And I remember us talking about like Egyptians and their fixation and fascination with cats. And I wonder if you could like, I don't know, put some some context into that. So the cat was one manifestation of the goddess Bastet, also known as Bast. And so the cat wasn't per se worshipped. The cat was worshipped as a manifestation of the goddess. Mm. So cats held a very high, important place uh, in the Egyptian spiritual pantheon. So there'd be even temple cats that would live and be treated, you know, very in a sacred way. And then there'd be cats that would maybe be in your home, but they were also treated with reverence as well. And then there's even the street cats were, you know, treated with respect. And so that sort of starts out and they did these festivals at Bubastis, that's Bast City. And they would have these like Bacchanalian days of drinking and song and revelry, like celebrating the cat. And she was a, a mother goddess, Bastet is a mother goddess. So 
it's connected with fertility, with femininity from the start. Um, and they say it's possible because cats themselves can have uh, many litters, uh, one after the other. Mm-hmm. They're very fecund and they also are known to be excellent mothers. Mm. I think it's one of the few species that will, you know, you hear the story of a cat going into a burning building to save every kitten. Like right. that is sort of, you know, carries throughout history. Like that's just a behavior of the, the felis catus, you know? Mm-hmm. So that is cemented in ancient Egypt and that reverence for the cat, not saying there weren't, you know, there are other cultures that have uh, love for cats in the ancient world as well, but particularly the Egyptian view, like the Greeks then took it and flipped it. And then from there, you know, early Christians and Europeans flipped that again. So really it's almost like because the Egyptians loved cats so much, everyone else had to say, nah, they're not so great. And just start this sort of pejorative uh, smear campaign. almost. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about that. Like when did the love and reverence of cats, which within that is the love and reverence of the goddess, the feminine. When did that mm-hmm. shift? Because like, I also noticed it too. Like we associate cats with, um, with femininity, but there's also this underlying thing of like cats are evil. Like I, I mean, I even have, um, a memory where my dad found a black kitten and he brought it home to us, to me, my sister, and mm-hmm. we kept it as a pet. But like, we ended up, he ended up wanting to give it away because cat, like black cats have this reputation for being bad luck. So yeah, I'm wondering like, when did that shift? I imagine it was like a, sh- a, a very long and slow process, but I'm curious about why that happened. Absolutely. And there's a lot of reasons, but one, you can trace it to Aristotle. Mm. So Aristotle writes um, the history of animals. And when he writes about the cat, the female cat in particular, he basically slut shames her. Oh God. Are we slut shaming yes. animals? <laughs> I mean, I, this was back in the day, but I mean, still, good Lord. <laughs> so basically he writes in the history of animals that the female cat is peculiarly lecherous. And he goes on because he'd probably seen cats having sex. And so the female cat, even before sex, is loud and yowling to get male cats to pay attention to her and whatever. Or during, you know, in heat. And then the sexual act itself is loud. So he, uh, he basically... I can come up with, uh, let me see if I can get the quote because it's pretty. Yeah. And and while you're getting that quote, I just want to say like, that is so true. I've had cats as pets who were in heat and they are so loud and obnoxious. (laughs) So that is true. (laughs) Right. So there's some truth in here. But I mean, what animals aren't like weird when they're having sex? I don't know. Um, (laughs) so he says, by the way, the female cat is peculiarly, peculiarly lecherous and wheedles the male on to sexual commerce and caterwauls during the operation. I mean, really? (laughs) I know. I know. Well, it's a translation too. So I don't really know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But still like, it's, it's very interesting. It's really, it's just, wow. That's, that's mind blowing. Yeah. So from there, basically, then you start to see cats being bad luck in uh, other Greek tragedies like a little later. And then the real turning point that you see is in early Christianity. And, you know, early Christians are trying to denounce everything that pagan cultures hold dear. And the cats and, you know, other there's other sacred animals as well that were then seen to be satanic. Mm. So there's really this effort just as all these pagan festivals were either covered over with a new Christian festival or they were just destroyed or ignored altogether. That's a similar kind of thing that goes on with cats as well. So I've sort of looked into other scholars agreeing with that point that, you know, 
that's from Aristotle and then Christians looking to just dismiss and demean anything that came before Christianity, we end up with the cat being pretty evil. Mm. And then there's all kinds of, like leading up to the witch trials, papal decrees and and religious uh, texts that imagine uh, Satan coming in the form of a cat and things like that, that really just cement it further and further. This is so fascinating. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think so. The amount of symbolism and even just like, I don't know, paranoia, superstition that we put into an animal. Like, I'm just imagining a cat sitting right in front of me. Like, this cat doesn't understand what we humans are like, what narratives we're putting on it. It's just like, I'm a cat and I'm going to like I know. do what I do because I'm an animal. Exactly. It's It's kind of absurd. And because of that uh, association with femininity and female sexuality that's sort of wild and untamed, you know, we even have to this day this sort of a, a negative association, as you explained with your own experience with a little black kitten, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like this question is rhetorical, but I want to ask it anyway. Like, how do you think this, like, dogma and superstition and paranoia and just like weird obsession with cats and women and sexuality and feminine femininity. Like, how do you think those negative uh, narratives have affected like human feminine people? Oh, absolutely. Terribly. <laughs> I mean, I think the way into looking at the history of misogyny and and uh, the oppression of the feminine and the suppression of the feminine is, you know, you can do that through the window of like the cat, let's just say, mm. you know, I think that's an excellent way to look at how various cultures have, have been afraid of and, and viewed femininity for a thousand years, you know. How did you start thinking about this? Like, I'm really curious about the process of your like of of you where you were like, uh, yeah, cats, femininity, sexuality. I'm gonna write a book on that. Like, tell me what that what that process looked like. Yeah, I as I mentioned, I was a cat person forever, and then when I was 11 years old, Batman Returns came out, and then I I saw Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman, and I was just I became obsessed, mm. and that sort of like flipped the switch, not only introducing me to aspects of kink and, you know, leather culture. And uh, obviously it's not really in the film, but there's like little bits, you know, Yeah, there's like, there's like whisperings. <laughs> yes. I was electrified by these undercurrents that I picked up on. And uh, I also had cats. And so I sort of just started thinking about those things, obviously in a very rudimentary way as a kid, but writing my last book in the research, there was cat stuff that came up almost every turn. I guess I'd sort of thought about this idea, but never really as a book. But in that research for my last book, cats were just everywhere. Mm. And so much so that I said, no, I'm not going to put them in this book. Actually, there's not even the word cat in the book because I just looked. I was like, is there, did I add anything? And no, and it's almost like I was saving everything because, you know, alongside all the, um, the women in particular, they were put to death let's just say just in the European witch hunts, there were many, many cats also put to death. Oh, really? Uh, by, side by side. Oh, yes, yes. Thousands. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Flung from bell towers, drowned, burned. What? Yes, yes. 
because the cat was assumed to be one of the most common uh, witches' familiars or demons that would, you know, tell witches all kinds of things, or witches would shape shift into cats. That belief is all over Europe, even Eastern, Southern, Western, and even that's where vampire lore comes from. Oh. There's a, there's a lot of ideas, yes, in especially Croatia, Italy. There's ideas about um, witches taking the form of cats to drink the blood of unsuspecting people. <laughs> And yeah, sneaking into their house so that you could witch or the witch could become a cat and ingratiate herself to come into your household through the cat form. Okay, cats so, are badass though. Like all of this lore, yes. these stories, like this is really, really cool. But like the whole persecution of cats alongside the persecution of women, witches, sluts. I mean, that's that's really sad. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a fascinating history and it goes you know deeper in certain ways like cats were synonymous with sex workers by the time by the 1700s so all the paintings you have these famous paintings of sex workers um, in western art w- would often have a cat in them or there'd be you know images with a cat that's like a stand-in for a sex worker things like that so like the the ultimate in sexuality and untamed sexuality or in like despised sexuality from well, that culture you know would be a cat wow so and it goes to today like i put a list in my book i don't know if it'll make it to the final edit because i don't know what the publisher has to say about it but i put a list of all the strip clubs that have like cats in the name and guess what it's really easy <laughs> to find them because <laughs> There are so I have friends who even were like, oh, yeah, my, my club is called blah, blah, blah. You know, there's so many cat inspired. And this is wildcats, too, because you have to count the wildcat when you just more like feline, you know, mm-hmm. because wildcats obviously think about leopard print. That's another part of the book. You know, the aesthetic of the oh cat, my God, you know, so cat eyes, leopard print. Yes. Like when women wear the like pseudo skin, surrogate skins of these animals, it's you know, you don't think of a woman in leopard print and think, oh, she's just really prudish, you know? Right. Even though it's just a print, you could be however you want sexually and wear a leopard print, but there's still an association, you know? Wow. That is, oh my God, this is so fascinating. And it makes me think of all the times that I was a cat for Halloween. (laughs) Yes. Well, clearly there was something you were trying to say. Yes, clearly. It was I was like in in the early stages of my own sexual liberation perhaps. Yes. Absolutely. The Sexually Liberated Woman celebrates sexual liberation. And since you're listening to this podcast, I think it's pretty safe for me to assume that you want to be about this life. Maybe you're already on your sexual liberation journey and you're starting to explore your erotic self bit by bit. Or maybe you're one of the many, many people out there who isn't at all comfortable with their sexuality, but wants to be. No matter where you are on your journey, I would love the opportunity to help you step out of shame and into sexual empowerment via one-on-one mentoring, fierce guidance, and resources that support your healing. If you're ready to be sexually free, go to evianwhitney.com slash shop and start your sexual liberation journey today. 
That's E-V-Y-A-N-W-H-I-T-N-E-Y dot com slash shop to begin your sexual awakening. I'll see you there. I'm, I don't have a cat. I've had cats before. I don't have a cat currently. Ooh. I have a doggy. She is amazing, but she's certainly not a cat. And so as we're having this conversation, like I imagine, and I even wonder with this for you, like while you were researching th- for this book and you were coming up with these like connections to being a cat and to femininity and sex and all these other things, like were you looking at your cat kind of weird? <laughs> Well, I will say that actually my partner's cat died right when I was submitting the proposal for this book. So I didn't oh. have a cat. So, you know, it wasn't time to get another cat. But then two months ago, I was sort of, you know, reconciled to not get another, I don't know, it was too soon or whatever. But writing this and just thinking about them, and I, I don't know, I just suddenly found myself going to like a uh, pet finder and all that. And found my way to a new kitten uh, about two months ago. What's your kitten's name? Her name is Cherie Purry. It's named after the runaway singer Cherie Curry. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know the band. No, Um, I'm not, but that's adorable. (laughs) (laughs) It's a 70s glam band. So uh, it was a ball girl. Like uh, Joan Jett was the guitarist. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So Cherie Curry is the singer. And so I was like, she's like a glam cat. You know, she's white with some silver streaks. Just very glam. Oh my God. I've seen pictures of her on Instagram. I'm like, oh my God, she's adorable. Adorable. Thank you. I love her. (laughs) Um, So she really helped and inspired this. And yeah, it is weird, like reading some of the things and writing these things. I'm like, this is all about you. (laughs) You little, little, little furball. (laughs) Yeah. It would be so weird for me to like be reading a book, writing a book about cats and having all of these connections being made to cats and sexuality and femininity, all of that. And then have a cat and be like, wow, this like so much history that you carry in your, in your being, like you have like created so much, you know, it's super magic. And I got to have, I've never had a uh, animal tarot reading. So my friend does cat and dog readings. Wait, wait, how does that work? (laughs) So my friend, Sarah Potter, she's amazing. And um, she reads for animals all the time. And I thought for my book, I really need to have this. And I've also always wanted to just have my pet have a reading because I don't know how the hell that works. Like as witchy as I am, I've never done that. So she comes over and she does two different readings. One is more like an oracle, oracle card reading. And she does that like with the animal where the animal chooses the card. Oh my God, that is yeah. so cute. <laughs> And then she'll do like a regular reading for the owner and animal's relationship. Mm. We, she had this this oracle deck out and she said, oh, the last um, cat that picked a card picked the possession card in this oracle oh. deck. And it makes sense because that cat was like very wild and seemed to be, you know, possessed by some, you know, spirits or whatnot. And I thought, well, there's no way Cherie is going to pick a possession card. She's like a chill little princess, you know. And then we just say that, and of course, guess which card <laughs> ends up right in her face, and she bites the corner, and that's the possession wow. card. Wow. Okay, so what does that mean? 
But we decided because she just looks like a fancy little bitch that it's possessions like shopping. Ooh, and- I like that. I like the twist on it. <laughs> Material things that she just likes. Yeah, she likes fancy <laughs> shit. I love that. Exactly. Exactly. So that that was that. Well, that was fun. I put that in the book. And actually, there's another woman who is a tarot reader that has a cat spread that you can use your cats to do a reading. And I have that in the book so people can do that. So there is definitely like for people who practice things in the book like that, in addition to all this history and stuff, I had to throw in some, you know, real witchcraft you could do with your cat. So, Oh my God. I'm so glad you did because like my, my other question was going to be like, so what do we do with this information? Like as we're wrapping our brains around the uh, symbology of cats, um, as well as how that affects and has even informed feminine sexuality, femme sexuality. Like, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm imagining that like you maybe looking at your cat in a different light, but mm. also like, what do we do with this information? Like, how do we maybe embody more cat energy or shift the narrative around cats? Yeah. I mean, I think we can all be aware and cognizant of the ways even archetypes like the cat lady in particular, there's still this pejorative idea of if you're a woman in particular and you own cats and you're single, there's still like a, a ridiculous idea that you you're less than because you're single and you have cats, right. you know what I mean? Or that that's, it's sort of this way to denigrate mental illness as well. Like the crazy cat lady. So I talk a lot about that and But I think what I took away the most and what I hope people can take away from this too is I'm drawing a lot of parallels between the way the feminine and the feline are treated and in that sense how the bodies of animals and the bodies of many uh, women and feminine people have been treated. And so I think it, it does position us back to also look at animal rights in the same, you know, if we're we're really thinking about everyone having bodily autonomy, then, you know, where does that leave animals as well? So I think in the end, I sort of even went beyond gender and to think of if we, if every human being deserves bodily autonomy, then like, where does that leave us with the way we treat animals, the way we conceive of animal consciousness Mm. and, you know, their agency. And so I don't have like a big answer, but I feel like it's, it's useful to put our minds to that because so much of the way, at least American, you know, uh, consciousness is, is animals aren't really part of it. You know, it's just like, I, I think therefore I am, and we don't know that animals can think. So therefore they, they are not, you know what I mean? (laughs) So I think that is, is a big one. And then also just the way that, um, cats, are now far more beloved than I would say femininity or women. (laughs) That's true. That's very true. So cats were able to rewrite how they were perceived or we did for them, but we're still working on the other side of the equation. So I think that's important to remember, not like you and I don't know that. Right, right. You know, for for anyone else who's reading, that's it's a good thing to, to, to think about, you know, the restrictions on bodily autonomy that are still there. Right. I'm also even thinking about like what it would look like to, um, I don't know, celebrate or even highlight your own personal cat energy as a way to like give a giant fuck you to the oppressive systems that have said that cat energy which equals femme sexuality is wrong. It's immoral. It's sinful. So are there any ways that like you like to get your cat energy on? Well, I think aesthetically is always a big 
big one for me, cat eyes. I always wear my eyeliner and cat eyes. You know, I wish that I knew how to do that. I've tried so many times with like liquid eyeliner. I even got one of those like pins that are supposed to make it easier. Oh, yeah. I watched all of these YouTube tutorials. Oh, no. I can't get it. So I feel like it's just not my thing, but <laughs> really, well, it doesn't have to be. That's not the only way to channel cat energy, but. <laughs> That's one. And I think just, I just love cat print. Like I am a wild cat print person, leopard, cheetah, tiger, whatever. I think, I don't think it's trashy or tacky. That I think that's totally sexist bullshit too. Mm. That's like, you know, I think obviously you can not like a pattern if you don't like it, but there's no, there's no, nothing inherently like less than or lower or, you know, low class, quote unquote, whatever that means, you know, about, animal prints. It's ridiculous. Right. I'm so glad that you mentioned that too, because that is also like another stereotype and another way that we make, I don't know, these really weird associations and assumptions with femininity and sexuality and class and stuff. Like why don't we have that same amount of disdain or paranoia or superstition about, um, I don't know, paisley print. I mean, paisley print looks pretty evil too. I mean, if you really want to look at it. Those are like weird little blobby amoeba monsters. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, why is it that we only like give that to um, to cat print, which is like again something that I have experienced just like in my own family, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it goes back to this history of associating this untamed sexuality because, because cats, even though they've been domesticated to a certain extent, they've never been domesticated like dogs. They still, right. you know, are pretty much free agents. Obviously, some cats couldn't survive out, but there's so many cats that live <laughs> out in the wild. Like, I, there's like 20 cats that live down my street and they, you know, they do their thing. They don't need me, mm. like, but it, they can hang out if they want, you know, and uh, if not, that's fine. I respect them. They respect me. It's, you know, and I think that that sort of total freedom, even though they can get close to humans, they're never fully like trained and lose that quote unquote animal instinct the way dogs you know are sort of trained to just be our slaves in a way a little bit right (laughs) and like what an awesome fucking metaphor like yeah because like what i heard in that answer was that like cats are like sovereign motherfuckers you know like they have agency they have autonomy like sure they have been domesticated but certainly not as much as other animals like the dog or the fish oh my gosh Um, (laughs) you know like they have maintained a sense of like self-possession and uh, sovereignty that might like i want to you know subscribe to yeah, same. Uh, so even writing this book was like a spell into giving that, uh, bringing it to myself, you know, mm. it's like that, that energy is so powerful. And I didn't even get into the kink part about Ooh, cats. Yeah. So I don't know if we have time. Yeah, please, please. I will say that I really wanted to look into why a Catwoman, you know, is from the first uh, installment of the Batman that Catwoman appears in. There's some kinky aspects. There was like a a spanking threatened, you know, and it's like, that was the 40s. Like, what's going on here? And so I dug deeper into old S&M literature. Then I dug into cats being one of the very few species who play with their prey i know that uh, obviously that's not consensual but you know we can still be we can be inspired for the like ultimate dom sure, you know? yes 
And it's called overflow play where they play with the thing that's maybe already dead because, you know, they don't care. And it's or, you know, they toy, they tease a, a prey without they could easily kill it, but they still tease and toy and play. Oh, my and gosh. So yes. There is a science to almost that cats are innately kinky. Mm. <laughs> and then that, you know, feeds into the way in the 17, 1800s, like early S&M literature, it's all about, you know, the kinky wild cat, like the woman, the untamed woman, the wild, like Dom, particularly. It's, it's not like subs or cats, you know. It's like wow. these you know, women with dominant energy are cast as cats, like in um, Venus in Furs. Like the main character, Dom, who, you know, uh, enchants the, the sub, but she, uh, Wanda, uh, talks about how cats are, you know, so beloved because they're so powerful and you can't tame them. And they're like little self-starting motors, you know, like they're, they're purr and like it's hypnotic. And so then we have this kinkiness and catness is just sort of one and the same at this point. So I think that's another aspect that's super fascinating when you add it to everything else. That is so fascinating. I'm glad that you mentioned that because you just reminded me of this hilarious story that my partner told me, which it features cats. You called it overflow play? Yes. So, I think that's what it's called. Yes. My, my husband worked on a farm for a little bit just for fun because that's what he does for fun. And um, <laughs> there, is, there is this adorable cat. His name was Fudge. And oh. he he's so cute, very fat because he was getting fed twice. He was getting fed by mm-hmm. his humans and also going out and hunting. And so one day, um, <laughs> Jonathan stumbled across Fudge and Fudge was like rolling and putting his face all over this little <laughs> rabbit. And Jonathan was like, this is really interesting. Like, why would this mm-hmm. rabbit be like allowing this cat to like rub itself all over it while it's still alive come to find out the rabbit was very much dead and he basically was playing with it he had no interest in eating it he killed it for the purpose of laying all over it and purring all over (laughs) it and what was the best part was that jonathan took pictures and they literally look like glamour shots like he is laying on the carcass of this <gasps> little bunny and he's looking at the camera like, yeah, oh my God. you like it, don't you? And it was fucking hilarious. I will never like get that out of my mind. And so as you were talking about overflow play, I was like, holy shit, that is a yes. thing. I've seen it. And it's bizarre, but it's also cute, but it's also a little creepy yes. and kind of like homicidal. Like I didn't really know how to feel. I love that story. Yeah, exactly. It's in action everywhere you look. Cats are totally <laughs> slugs and they're kinky. And <laughs> oh my God. That I'm so excited about your book. I cannot wait oh, until it's you. out. Um, when does it come out? Where can we buy it when it does come out? Do we pre-order? Tell us everything. So it's not out for pre-order yet, but it comes out officially September 1st. Amazing. And that might change by a few days here and there. Obviously, it's still early in the game, but it will be out by September. And I'm definitely going to be doing some touring and having some events with some cat adjacent things going on. It's not just going to be boring me reading. Are you kidding me? That's like, (laughs) no way. With a subject like this, it's going to be like some slutty cat action. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Do you have any plans on coming up to the Pacific Northwest? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got to come back. And we hopefully you can be part of it. We can do something. I think last time was so fun. Yeah. Oh, my God. I would I would love I would love this. I mean, the energy about this is so, so good. Um, And I want to be more into cat energy myself. 
Yeah. And you don't even need, obviously you don't need a cat around to do it. And maybe your dog will appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, Kristen, thank you so much for coming on and talking at cats and sluts (laughs) with me today. This was awesome. Only you would offer this opportunity for this kind of conversation. So thank you. Oh my gosh. I was like, how can like how can these two things like go together? And you just proved that they go together very beautifully. So I so appreciate your wisdom and um, your ability to like put into perspective and context these really interesting connections around femininity and sexuality. And um, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to when your book comes out. Thank you so much. Oh, and also, where can people find you if, you know, while they're waiting for the book uh, to, to drop, like, where can people find you to follow your adventures and maybe also see your beautiful little kitty? Oh, yes. Um, so Kristen Corvette, that's K-R-I-S-T-E-N-K-O-R-V-E-T-T-E at Instagram is mostly where I'll be promoting the book and talking about it and having lots of pussy shots. I mean, my cat shots or whatnot. I was yet. just about to say, I need to specify <laughs> that like your Instagram has like pictures of an animal cat, <laughs> not your no. anatomical cat. <laughs> they don't They don't let that anymore. They don't let that happen anymore. Cool. Cool. Thank you so much, Kristen. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to read your book. Thanks, Avian. This podcast is produced, edited, and designed by me, Evian Whitney. Find me on my website, evianwhitney.com, and on Instagram at evian.whitney to keep up with me and my work. The Sexually Liberated Woman is made possible with editing help by Samantha Riddell, transcriptions by Jordan Bailey, and community support from each one of my very special patrons on Patreon. I literally couldn't do this without you. If you want to help sustain the sexually liberated woman, go to patreon.com slash SLW podcast and become a patron. And don't forget to rate and review on Apple podcasts. It helps others find the show. Thank you so much for being here and I'll see you in the next episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 